0: To the pass, hold it. Defense number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic first down. Greetings and welcome to the Roger Goodgrove's officiating podcast. You may recognize my voice and um, you're not hearing things. It's suck. Uh, so Bernie, I'm back um, uh, for a momentarily for a few weeks uh, to help with the officiating podcast. But week nine is now in the books, of the NFL season. Um, so we're gone sort of past the halfway mark now. It's a bit strange now with 17 weeks, isn't it, Roger? But we're kind of there now past the halfway stage of the, the NFL how have, have you found the sort of officiating generally yeah in, generally in the NFL? Being
1: good there's always some issues there's always some question marks there's always some misunderstanding by people as well um yeah. I'll just pick you up on a couple of things though um, the halfway mark well not past it at least this weekend apparently is the halfway mark this one coming so I read okay. today. So anyway, so we are halfway in. That would be fair to say. And the other thing yeah. is, welcome, Black. I'm glad to see we got you before the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Forget about Odell Beckham. Having me back in is probably the biggest talking point in the NFL this week. Now, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> it's it's good to be back just to uh, talk officiating with yourself because I must admit I have missed uh, you know having these conversations. It, it gives me an insight, and I've, I feel like my Officiating knowledge seem knowledge seems to sort of have gone down the pan for the last few weeks, <laughs> given the fact that I've not been involved. So it's it's good for me as well, just to sort of get back into it. But um, we'll kick off with Thursday night football, which now seems a long time ago. Now I, I was um, just
1: thinking that I was just thinking it sounds like such a long time ago, but it mm. you know so much has happened. This is a, a busy week to come back for. I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. But. We- Uh, Thursday night football matchup between the Indianapolis Colts and the New York Jets. So understand this is uh, just before the half um, Carson Wentz finding Michael Pittman Um, looking at it live. It it looked as if the Jets defensive player made a great move on him and and it wasn't the touchdown pass, but then breaking it down slowly. what, What did we find Roger?
1: Well, I think you're right. Which is looking at it in real time, it doesn't look like a TD, and that is what was called on the field. So you're exactly in line with the officials on the field watching it for the yeah. first time and only time at full speed. But um, this this one goes back to a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, when the NFL changed the catch rule. Um, so just um, remind people that we need to have three components to the catch. We have to have control of the ball body parts down, and then time to do a football move. Yeah. Um, two or three years ago, the NFL decided that, um, as you have to have two feet down to make it the, the, the body part parts, then the third foot down was enough time to establish the catch process was complete. Um, so we have this pass, and if you watch it very carefully in replay, he sticks the ball straight away. What I mean by that is he has control immediately as soon as the ball hits his hand. It's not, it's not loose at that stage. So therefore, yeah. we can start counting feet. And if you look at the feet, we have one foot down, two foot down. The third foot lands. Yeah. And immediately afterwards, the defender punches the ball out of his hands. Yeah, And that, that's why on the field it was called as an incomplete pass. And it required a challenge by the team to have it reviewed after review, quite rightly ruled as a touchdown. Now, the the interesting thing from from my point of view about this play is you now imagine that same play at the 50-yard line rather than in the end zone. So in the end zone, as soon as the third foot landed, that play was over, it was ruled a touchdown, nothing further mattered. But we put that in the middle of the field and immediately the defender has knocked a ball out that in replay would decide that that was a catch and therefore this is now a fumble. Yeah, receiver in the middle of the field usually surrounded by at least three or four players. Likelihood is that would be a turnover. Yeah, and and this is the downside of that rule change, which is yes, we'll get the occasional play where you know in the past there have been the likes of the the, the Calvin Harris play and. Um, uh, you know, Des, Des caught it, um, where there has been some great football moves that hadn't been caught because the rule was different, those. I yep. wanted to include those as plays that are um, potentially TDs. And this is an example of one where it is by rule, but I don't necessarily like it. But that's the downside of changing that rule to make the third step count. No,
0: exactly right. I mean, you're absolutely right. Looking at the replay straight away, we knew it was a touchdown within seconds, didn't we? Of of seeing the first replay, there was no doubt about it. And obvious, the main thing is the right call was made in the end, and that's why we have these replays. You know, for the for that very reason. But, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And people wanted it that way. And 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 generally speaking, I think it it has worked. The 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 catch process isn't as much debated as it used to be. Mm. certainly there are there are some what you'd call 50 men in a bar um it was obviously a touchdown now counts as a touchdown and there's no sort of rule shenanigans where they're they're looking at it in the in nth degree and suddenly they they find somewhere deep in the rule book something that overturns it those generally are not happening so i think overall the catch process works nowadays but you know this is one of those ones where in the middle of the field we'd have a completely different result and we'd have yeah. people up in arms about it
0: Exactly. So the, the next game we're going to talk about is the, the battle of what I call the purple teams. Um, <laughs> you've got uh, Baltimore Ravens and the Minnesota Vikings. So this particular play happened in the first quarter, um, quite early on in the game, actually. It was a horse collar move on Lamar Jackson. Now, I'm interested to hear this one because there was a similar one in the Bucks game against the saints uh, a couple of weeks back and i don't i actually don't know if you sort of talked about that particular one but um very interested to hear obviously your thoughts on this particular uh, call there with the horse collar because there's a lot of people now who are a bit humming and haring about the position of the hand etc and what yeah. constitutes to a horse collar and what doesn't
1: so they expanded the rule a couple of years ago um a horse- when a chasing defender grabs the runner from behind inside the shoulder pads at the back of the head and pulls them down. And that motion of pulling down puts a great deal of strain on the back and the legs. Um, yeah. And so therefore, that horse collar tackle is has is, is been in a long time what the definition of horse collar would be to try and capture plays that didn't meet the exact definition but still achieve the same potentially dangerous um, moves on the back and the legs and so therefore if you um, get inside either not just the back but the sides of the collar um, and also if you now actually grab at the nameplate area on the jersey that will also be considered for horse colour tackle, quite rightly. Um, however, this particular play I'm not happy with um, because the grab by the defender was actually on the number itself and not mm. on the play. It was lower than that. Now, we have to draw a line somewhere. Otherwise, any counts for the potential to have that um, torsion of the of the the, the neck and legs back and legs, yeah. um, motion um and yes potentially it might expand in time you know if, if we keep getting fouls like that and the injuries result from them then the league may say that's that's just too dangerous because of the, the motion involved therefore anywhere on the back is not allowed um but <laughs> as the rule stands currently it's the name play area only mm. that adds to that and this wasn't on the nameplate, and therefore I don't think no, it should wasn't. have been called. Easy in yeah. hindsight. You know, we've got replay, and we can see clearly that grabs the number eight doesn't add the name. But, you know, referee, lifetime call, player goes down like a horse collar, would pull him down um, yeah. in that direction. But unfortunately, I think he just missed the
0: Yeah, easy mistake to make, to be honest, yeah, in real time, isn't it? That's where they get paid. Yeah, 100%. Um, Moving on to the same game um, later on in the still in the first half but in the second quarter now um, this was a a collision um, after a punt which was recovered by the Vikings Um, now they talked about an illegal touch violation here so (laughs) once again it's another one where slow motion looked completely different to what you see in real time so Let us know your thoughts on this one, Roger. Yeah. Okay. So
1: we we have this, this is the week of the punts um, and and unusual things that are going on in punts. And we'll cover some later um, that were even more unusual. This one, this one's actually fair from a rules perspective um, made more complex by the the wording that the referee gave. Um, But it is a punt. And as we've covered previously on punts, the kicking team are giving up the ball. And if the defending team don't do anything to get that ball, wherever it stops, wherever it's declared dead, that's where the receiving team will take over from. Yeah. So what we had in this particular example is two Ravens went to try and recover the ball in the air and ran into each other. Now, the the Viking that was chasing it down the field perceived – That the Ravens touch the ball now. What if the Ravens do touch the ball that makes it eligible for the Vikings to recover?
0: Becomes live, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it becomes live but not advance. And we'll come Mm. later. Um, in this example, so the Viking reacts as if the ball really shows that the two players running into each other, the contact with it was with each other, not with the ball. And therefore, the ball just went as if a punt was untouched. And therefore, when the Viking picked up that punt, that becomes the the, the, the spot, assuming that they don't do something silly with it, like run it into the end zone. Um, because as we've all previous um, uh, podcasts, if you recover a punt in the field of play, but take it into the end zone, that's counted as a touchback. Um, so that's another NFL rule yeah so, quite rightly um, in that example ruled correctly in replay nobody touched it therefore vikings just recovered an untouched ball like you would do normally on a punt the weird thing was obviously the players running into each other and then the perception that they had touched the ball but nothing nothing untoward
0: fantastic and we're going to move on to... I know we're kind of umming and ahhing about this instant whether to include it, but why not? You know, we're back. You know, why not include as much footage as we can? So this particular one is the matchup between the Raiders and the Giants um, towards the end of the first quarter. This is um, to do with a clipping incident, Roger. So talk us through yeah, this one. So firstly, sort of
1: what is clipping? Uh, clipping yeah. is um, basically hitting um, at the way Low, sorry, n- not the waist, below uh, the, the knee or below from behind. Um, so let's imagine somebody chasing down somebody and they, they, they can't get in front of them to block them, but they just dive at the back of their legs. And that's what clipping is. And, and on this particular example, there was a player who walked, um, fell at the legs of one of the um, uh, defenders. And therefore, it was called clipping on the field. However, clipping is only to be called if the person who's doing the clipping is under their own motion, as they- they're doing it. If they're blocked into it, they're not under control of themselves anymore. It's caused by somebody else, and therefore that isn't clipping. And the reason why I wanted to include this is people often complain, well, you know, why don't the rest talk to each other? Well, they do if they see something that's pertinent to the flagging question. Now, we have seven officials generally speaking, they're watching different things on every play. Yeah. So they're not always going to see the same things. They might, especially on something like a pass, where two, two sets of eyes will be watching the end of the play, but they aren't always. But in this example, um, we had the person who was responsible for the player um, that was doing the, the pushing and pushed the player into uh, the legs of the, the other one. And therefore, when the referee called Clip It... <laughs> Would be looking like clip it quickly came in and said to the calling official that play was blocked into that um action and therefore they picked up the flag. So just wanted to mention that they do pick up flags if they've got something they can add that will make them change their decision.
0: Fantastic. Um, the next incident now I'm going to admit when when you sent me the video clip, I was not aware of any such or anything, maybe that would be a question mark on this. Um, I think because <laughs> the Jags were winning and it literally yeah. just caught me a bit off by surprise as well because looking at the reaction of Urban Meyer, as soon as the game had finished, everyone just carried on as if everything was normal. But talk talk us about, talk okay. to us about the fourth quarter ending. Yeah.
1: Um, peculiarity of the NFL that's different to college. Um, So in punts, we just talked earlier that the kicking team gives up the ball by kicking it away. And if the ret- the return team don't do anything with it, then um, they just get it wherever the ball is dead. Um, the kicking team, whilst not eligible to recover the, the ball, can and do frequently touch the ball. And this isn't a penalty it's called a violation, which um, is a weird and wonderful because there's, there's not very many of those in the rule book. But mm-hmm. a violation is a bit like a, a notice something about the play, but it's not going to attract penalty or any sort of disqualification. But what it gives is the ability for the returning team to take the ball at any of the spots of first touching. So if the typical example, let's imagine a normal kick. It's kicked downfield, and about the 20-yard line, the, the the kicking team try to stop it going into the end zone and they get in the way of it, but it rolls a little bit further to the 10-yard line when somebody else tries to get it and it rolls a little bit further to the five. All of the touches at the 20, 10, and 5 have been by the kicking team. All of those spots are opportunities for the return team to take the ball at. So they will obviously take the most advantageous of those. And in that example, they will say, right, okay, 20-yard line, there's a first touching, therefore we'll take 20, off we go on offense. Mm. So that, that's sort of background history of this. Now, in this particular example, and it only happens um, basically as time um, is when a pointing team, all the way to the opposition rather than the opposition having a chance to return it when there's still time on the clock if the um kicking team down it by and stopping the returners therefore they they create a first touching spot as time expires the receiving team have one untimed down, at which they can actually try and score on. So if we remember right. this particular example, um, Buffalo were down by, I think it was 3.69, the final score. Yep. So the Jags had consumed up all the time. They, they basically had done what they needed to do to get the win, and they kicked the ball away with seven seconds remaining, and nobody from um, the returning team was actually um, there. They were trying to Stop them kicking it away, they're all up front. Um, so the ball just wandered down to about the five yard line, and then the um, the Jags ran after it just to make sure it was um going to be down and nearly went towards it. If they had potentially, they could have had a first touching spot, and, and Buffalo could have had a single untimed down,
0: yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you think in the grand scheme of things, nothing much would have happened from that play anyway. But uh, Really it's still... unlikely. It's,
1: it's, it's a long way away, 97 yards or whatever, on a single time down. Really unlikely they would score. You just don't want to give anybody the opportunity when you've just done a, yeah. a a great defensive play or offensive play to consume all the time. You don't want to give them the opportunity. But no, it was there as a potential. It was another weird and wonderful thing in the rule book for punts. As I said, this is the, the week of the punt. Yeah. And um, it, it's another weird and wonderful that's in the rule book. Could have happened, didn't ha- actually happen, but good for an educational perspective.
0: Exactly. And speaking of an educational perspective, we now go to the Broncos and Cowboys matchup in the third quarter. Um, this is the block punt that was recovered by the kicking team, but something... That normally doesn't happen with the ball, happened in on this occasion, and and that led to some sort of confusion. Um, talk us through this one, Roger.
1: Okay. So, we covered in a, two or three weeks ago, we covered a punt where the punt was blocked behind the line, and the kicker kicked it a second time. Doesn't happen very often. Aussie punter, so therefore, you know, he's used to, you know, um, being a bit more on the fly than perhaps the NFL normally used to. Um, and we covered at that time what is allowable and what isn't allowable. And much of it depends on whether the ball has crossed the line of scrimmage or not. So if a if a kick that's blocked normally ends up staying behind the line of scrimmage and it can therefore be picked up in advance by the uh, the team that, that punted it or snapped it in the first place. Um, however, once the ball goes beyond the line of scrimmage, then the kicking team have given it up. So going back to what we were saying earlier, normally it happens, the punters punt it as far down the field as possible. Nobody touches the ball. It comes to, to rest. And that's when the offense take over. Unless the receiving team happened to touch it. So going back to our example earlier when the Ravens Vikings, um, the Viking thought the Raven had touched it. Therefore, he was eligible to now pick up that ball and it would be their possession. So in this example, it happens very close to the original line of scrimmage, but the same principles apply. The kick was blocked, but this time it squirms past the line of scrimmage, and one of the Dallas players, I think it was, if my memory serves me correctly, touches it, that makes the ball eligible to be recovered by the kicking team. The Broncos recovered it at about the 19-yard line. Now... They then ran that ball downfield because they thought they'd recovered it, which they had. However, it hadn't been possessed by Dallas. It had only been touched by Dallas. It muffed it in the technical term. And therefore, whilst Broncos were eligible to recover the ball, they're not eligible to advance that ball. If Dallas had possessed the ball and then lost it, then they would be eligible to recover it and return it. So you don't normally see it near the line of scrimmage and yeah. uh, it's a weird and wonderful one because of that. but if you think it think it through as a normal punt, it's a punt across the line of scrimmage. One of the Dallas players happened to touch it and therefore made it eligible for somebody else to get it. The other little wrinkle that people didn't like about this particular play was that the original punt, let's say fourth and 10. it, it, it probably wasn't, but uh, doing it from memory here. Yeah. And the ball was recovered just after the line of scrimmage. And therefore, let's say there's still nine yards to go until the original line to gain. However, because Dallas had touched it and it had been given up as part of the kicking process, that was the team possession over. Dallas then had the opportunity to have it, but by touching it, they gave up that opportunity to have it. Therefore, whilst the Broncos had got the ball back, they got a first down, not short of the line to gain, which was what it otherwise would have been. So that's the other wrinkle in this particular one that is a bit more confusing.
0: Yeah. A lot to get your head around that one, but it'll make sense. And you've, you've articulated that superbly, Roger. So thank you for that. Um, We're going to move on to the Cardinals 49ers game. Um, So this was um, towards the end of the first quarter, um, Question marks on a potential face mask penalty. Uh, your thoughts on on this incident, Roger?
1: Um, honest answer, I'm going to have to look back at it because I can't remember. Oh, oh yes, I can. Yes, I can. I lie. Mm. So what we had is the, the 49ers uh, with the ball and um, we had um, Cardinal came in to try and defend it. No, sorry, it's the other way around. Ignore me. other way around. Um, it was the Cardinals with the ball and the 49ers were defending it. And Armstead came in to try and stop the quarterback uh, running with oh, the ball.
0: McCoy, yeah.
1: um, and he he wrapped his arm around the helmet of the quarterback. Now, it was called for a face mask penalty. So I just wanted to cover off um, what is and isn't um, a penalty and why. So, firstly there needs to be two components to a face mask penalty it's not just grabbing the face gauge in the first instance The also needs to be a twist or pull component so if you accidentally grab the face gauge that in itself is not a penalty as long as you let go But if you then continue to pull it in a different direction or pull it down or whatever, then that's when you get a face mask penalty. Now, we talked about the face cage because that's the most likely and obvious place that this happens. However, the penalty is broader than that. It actually covers any helmet opening. So we could have an ear hole, um, obviously the face mask itself, or the back of the head where the helmet and the neck join. That would also be a place that is eligible for a face mask penalty. But the same rules apply not only to have um, a grab of one of those areas, but you also need a twist and turn. So at the beginning of this play, it's actually legal. He's He's got his arm wrapped around the head of the quarterback, but he's not actually grabbed any face mask opening. Yeah. And therefore that that's a legal tackle. Um, people won't like it because obviously high tackles people assume are going to be a, a, a penalty in one form or another. But just at the end of this play, you see that he he almost tries to rip the helmet off the back of the 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 quarterback's from the back of the quarterback's head, which is what makes it the 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 penalty side of things. So it was illegal, slipped into being a face mask penalty, even though he didn't actually touch the face mask. And that's why I wanted to cover that one.
0: That's uh. And that's a, that's definitely a good one to cover there, Roger. Um going back to the same game then later on in the second quarter, um we've had a couple of incidents now with uh sort of taunting penalties. Um this particular one, if you want to just talk us through yeah. what happened. So
1: we, we had double taunting. So we have yeah. a, we had taunting by a player, and the reason why I wanted to mention it is we also had taunting by the head coach of San Francisco. It doesn't, taunting doesn't just need to be players. It's basically any action um, that's uh, designed to provoke ill will type thing. Um, Usually it's verbal, um, but it could be physical. You could be spinning a ball at a player or, you know, um, spiking the ball in front of the player after you just got the catch or whatever. Um, So spiking the ball is not a problem, generally speaking, um, as long as it's not done at somebody. Um, and obviously, if you just caught a TD, you can celebrate by spiking the ball, but you can't turn around and spike it towards the defensive back that you just beat. And, um, but this example, so we had a player uh, taunting, and then we had a coach on the sideline taunting. Now, coaches, in the same way that players, if they get two um, taunting fouls in a game or two unsportsmanlike conduct fouls in a game, can be sent off. The same applies to head coaches as well. Never happened um, uh, in the NFL anyway. Um, there has been a recent example where in a lower college division, there was a coach sent off uh, two unsportsmanlike contact fouls. So it doesn't happen very often.
0: Yeah. <coughs> You OK there, Roger?
1: Yeah, sorry, I, oh, oh. I, I I didn't hear anything from you, so I was just oh. waiting
0: for you. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, sorry about that. So uh, we'll move on to the next game, which is the uh, Packers and Chiefs game. So uh, this was another kick that was touched beyond the line of scrimmage. So this happened in the second quarter, I believe, two and a half minutes uh, left of the second quarter. So talk us through another... Another kicking incident.
1: Yeah, so we have another punt situation, um, similarish to the, the the situation that we had in the, the Ravens Vikings one earlier. Punt comes down. Um, this time, the <coughs> excuse me, receiving <coughs> receiving team rightly thought that the uh, sorry, the kicking team rightly thought the receiving team touched the ball, and they did. However, that wasn't what was ruled on the field. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> However, um, in replay, they actually determined that the ball actually had touched um, the Packers player and therefore that made it a live ball and made it eligible for the the returners to uh, pick up the ball and, and possess the ball.
0: Uh, uh, another interesting one there. Um, this particular one made me laugh, actually, between the Texans and the Dolphins. Um, funny enough, the last time I saw such a such a move from a quarterback, it was actually a, a Miami player, which was Tua. Um, but this time we had Tyrod Taylor on the other side doing it for the Houston Texans, where it looks like he's throwing the ball out, out of play, you know. Um, and it's then picked up by Jerome Baker, I believe, um, with his feet. Looking in bounds, talk us through this particular one. I actually do not yeah. know what the end goal was on this one because, yeah, it, it I was interesting.
1: Uh, interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, one, as you quite rightly say, the quarterback was heading out of bounds, he wasn't getting anywhere, there was nobody open, and um, it looked like he was going to run out of bounds, but he decided to think just at the last minute, well, if I throw it safely downfield, I'm outside uh, the tackle box, if I throw it deep enough, I, I can avoid a, an intentional grounding. Um, flag, and I can get the ball back at the original line of scrimmage, rather than where I am now, somewhere behind it. However, he didn't make a very good effort at it, and he sort of half-flipped it downfield, thinking it's going to go out, because I'm so near the sideline now, inevitably it's going to go out. Um, However, um, smart uh, (laughs) um, defender downfield, realised the ball's heading towards him, but realised he's standing out of bounds at the moment. And quickly, gets his feet back on the field reestablishes in the field of play and catches the ball yeah now the reason why you said i didn't know what happened to the actual play this was actually ruled as if the quarterback had been out of bounds before he threw the ball he was so you can understand why that might have been said however if you look at it in replay Um, the player was over the white but still in the air um, when he threw the ball. And so, therefore, he isn't out of bounds, even though he's physically over the out-of-bounds area. And therefore, this should have been ruled as a pass that was intercepted um, down the field by the defence, and it wasn't. Um, So, it was both an interesting play from a very smart defender, uh, who re-established, made sure he knew the rules, he needed to get back into the field of play to make it a catch, and therefore did. Um, so it's quite clever from his point of view. Now, yeah. the other thing to, to note, there was another game um, this weekend where uh, a, a receiver went out of bounds, returned in bounds, and caught a TD pass. Um Because he had gone out of bounds on his own, and was the first to touch the ball, that was actually a penalty. However, defenders don't have that same limitation. They can go out of bounds and return in bounds without penalty. So um, that's some people have said, well, well, how can he do it and they can't? Well, yeah. he can. Uh, defenders are allowed to do it because they they're defending what they don't know is going to be happening and therefore they're chasing somebody downfield. Um, they might be on their outside and that player's running down the wing. You know, It's not easy for them to know where they should be based sure. on where the is going to be. So uh, they don't have that same restriction.
0: Yeah, very, very bizarre
1: yeah it, it, it was it was a very unusual <laughs> yeah. one. But it it was. it it was more to do with the player. I was I was more impressed with the player's re-establishing inbounds prior to catching it than than anything else on the officiating that day.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a good move by Baker. Um moving on now to Sunday night football, so one game to forget for at <laughs> Rams, uh Tennessee Titans and LA Rams, so th- this is a first-quarter play, uh, Jalen Ramsey interception, uh, called for unsportsmanlike conduct, um, I believe, on this particular play.
1: Well, yes and no. And we'll come back to that in a minute. It was announced as unsportsmanlike conduct, um, and therefore, yes, that's what the perception was. Right. So we'll, we'll come back to that when we talk about the second time he was called for unsportsmanlike conduct and try and pick up the two together.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, by all means, just go through the second one as well. So that happened in the first quarter as well, didn't it? Uh, towards the end of the first quarter, um, he was called for unsportsmanlike conduct again, wasn't he? Yes. So yeah.
1: we had a, an altercation between him and the receiver that he was regularly covering, Browning, if, if my memory serves me correctly, and um, they they sort of set to a bit verbally, and um, they were both called for taunting which is an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. Mm -hmm. And the referee, Brad Rogers, announced that it was their first unsportsmanlike conduct conduct foul that leads to a possible disqualification. So two unsportsmanlike conduct fouls can lead to a disqualification. And normally, most straightforward unsportsmanlike conduct fouls do lead to, it's a bit like a yellow card in, in soccer. Um, so people were obviously confused because it wasn't that long previously that the announcement on the Ramsey interception was that he was called for unsportsmanlike conduct um, on the sideline. Now, what yeah. Ramsey did was when he intercepted the play, went out of bounds, basically he he bundled over the receiver that he just beat on that play. Yeah. Um, but it was a more like a personal foul. And certainly, you could potentially see it as a taunting action, because obviously he'd just beaten this guy. But it should have been, um, uh, and my um, perception was, it was ruled as a personal foul, not as a taunting unsportsmanlike conduct foul. However, there is another uh, type of unsportsmanlike conduct foul that doesn't meet the two for disqualification rule. And it is a bit of an over-celebration type foul. Um, And so therefore, when Brad was announcing it, he didn't announce on the first one, this is the first of two potential disqualification calls. Right. And therefore, I suspect he was told by the wing official that um, had called the original Ramsey foul, that it was an unsportsmanlike conduct foul. And when he said one that would go to disqualification. He said no. And therefore, when he announced it, he just announced it as an unsportsmanlike conduct and didn't do the announcement that said, this is the first of two potential for disqualification. Right. And therefore, as far as Brad at that stage is concerned, he's got one just 15-yard penalty, nothing to worry about. Obviously, when the second one occurs, the bench is up in arms now saying, well, that's two unsportsmanlike conduct. Surely Ramsey should be sent off now. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me um but no um so then uh, Brad had to get back on the radio and announce that the first of the what was called unsportsmanlike conduct um was actually a personal file so i, <laughs> I imagine he had some words with that calling yeah. official uh <laughs> and set him straight in terms of what he tells him when he actually sends him into the middle to get on the radio
0: so sure. frustrating for the titans perspective as well though because you're kind of expecting or hoping, I guess. But then at the end of the day, they, they didn't call up in the first occasion. So there's not much really they can argue about. Really, well,
1: there? There, yeah, there is nothing to argue about. There, there weren't yeah. two unsportsmanlike conduct
0: fouls
1: yeah. for disqualification. Exactly. So there, there is no doubt that the first foul wasn't um, an unsportsmanlike conduct that would normally be the first of two. If you look back at the video that I've, I've included, um, he bundles over the player. It's a personal foul. Shouldn't have done it, but it, it you know, it, it wasn't an unsportsmanlike conduct type foul. It was a personal foul. Yeah. Um. Just unfortunate that it was announced as an unsportsmanlike conduct foul, and therefore, when the second was announced, of the alarm bells to go off and go, "Hey, that player should be ejected, shouldn't he?" Yeah.
0: I think that's more the fans, isn't it, rather than.
1: Uh, Yeah, to something. I mean, obviously, commentators are never to be. And the bench, you know, because the opposing bench naturally go, well, that's two. Why shouldn't he be sent off? It's a natural question. Um, So, just unfortunately, just badly worded initial announcement based on what they're calling official to the referee. Yeah,
0: exactly. We're going to move on to Monday Night Football then. I think we want to briefly just touch upon... Some of the calling there but in, in the um, Bears-Steelers game. Now, must admit, I'm not, this is one game that I've not actually fully watched yet. Um, yeah, don't worry.
1: This one caused some controversy, and I wanted to, to cover it off. There was a taunting foul on the Bears. They had done a great defensive play to hold the Steelers on a, a fourth-down situation. However, the probably linebacker that, that made the tackle Um, Instead of going back to his own huddle or going back to his own sideline, because then it was going to be a punt, um, he instead walked uh, from the hash mark in the middle of the field to nearly at the numbers on the uh, Steelers side of the field. So a direction he had no no, uh, right to be moving in um, and was called for taunting against the bench. So, taunting obviously it could be just a one on one against a person. But, you know, if you've just done something good and you run across the opposing sideline and, and run down there going, oh, look at me, you know, that's taunting. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether he was 20 feet, 30 feet away from it. He walked towards them having just done this great play. That's taunting. Now, yeah. was it the strongest taunting ever foul? No, it wasn't. In other circumstances, would you just got him away? Would you just have a word? Yes. However, this year, the league have a point of emphasis in relation to taunting. The referees are told by the competition committee, we want to clamp down on it. We want to have zero tolerance for taunting. So the referee, seeing the player go in the wrong direction to taunt the bench, he's got two choices. He can either think this is a weak call, and I won't call it, and then when he has his meeting with his own um, uh, evaluators during the week, they're going to say, well, competition committee say you should be calling taunting. That was clearly taunting. Therefore, you've got a downgrade. You get downgraded. You potentially miss your playoff spot. So when you tell the officials, it's a bit like, you know, anytime your boss at work says, yeah. "This, you must do this. I don't care whether you like it or not. I want you to do it. Well, you are going to are going to end up fired, or you know, not get the pay rise at the end of the year? So, you know, to, to to say to the referee, "This is harsh; you shouldn't have done it." Well, unfortunately, it was it was handed down to him, so he's not therefore responsible if a player puts him in the position. Yeah. And you know, don't put the official in the position of needing to make that judgment call.
0: Exactly. Simple case of don't hate the player, hate the game, really, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. He could have gone off to celebrate with his own team. Nothing wrong, he'd just done a great play. And I think that player had been on the practice squad and he'd only just been promoted to the team. So I can understand from his his point of view, he was probably, you know, psyched up just on a great play. Unfortunately, um, he got chewed out by the coach when he got back to the sideline. And the the video clip I've included shows him being chewed out by the coach on the way back. So uh, he learned his lesson.
0: I'm sure he did. (laughs) Um, But that, I think, wraps up uh, week nine of the officiating podcast, Roger. It's been been fantastic to converse with you again, talking about all things officiating. Um, You got any sort of plans now for the week ahead?
1: Uh, Well, I'm recovering, as you can tell, by the cough, probably. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So a chest infection that took me out of last weekend's game. Um, So it's very much a get myself back fit so that I can be officiating this games this current coming weekend so uh, i i'm resting and recuperating and i'm much better than i was but uh, when i when i talk too much which i obviously have done today then uh, it starts to tickle so uh, my apologies for the interruptions
0: no it's that time of year we completely understand roger but thank you again for you know giving us your insight into you know the officiating uh, side of things and hopefully by next week you'll be 100 back to normal
1: Absolutely. I hope I will.
0: That's great. It's been a pleasure, Roger. And uh, thank you again to the listeners. Uh, We'll see you next week.